Today, we're talking about what things make accounting firms attractive to buy, what's the right way for old firm owners to hand the keys off to new firm owners. We're going to beg for some golf tips for two guys who desperately need them. And you're going to hear about one of the most unique backstories of an accounting firm owner with our buddy, Chris Williams. All that here on Drink While You Think, the weekly happy hour conversation between a couple of guys who are building their accounting firm in really weird ways. I'm your host, Kenji, along with my co-founder and co-host, Matthew. Matthew, as always, tell us who the sponsor is today. Okay, Kenji, we are still don't have a sponsor. So if you'd like to sponsor Drink While You Think, just send us beer, preferably beer from like a city that you're in that's kind of quirky, that represents your city, uh, so we can try it online and talk about your cool product. Love if you're accounting firm, if you're a accounting firm, accounting technology, like just pick something from near you that's like your favorite beer and send it to us, and then we'll drink it online, and then you're the sponsor. Yeah, I will I tried say a different we, approach. You tried a different approach. I tried a different approach. We're going like to go. We do have a lead on another potential sponsor. I can't drop their name now, but they did tell reach out and tell me I was on their podcast. They're like, hey, we're sending you beer from one of our clients to brewery and we're going to be a sponsor. Oh, so we yeah, may have another podcast, send us a thing and we'll talk about your podcast. Yeah, we have some beer potentially coming from Austin, Texas. I will, Ooh, okay. So, we so, like that. So All right. we've got some people hinting around. So. We'll find out how that works out. Awesome. We got our buddy Chris on. Chris, welcome, my man. Tell us, give us, you know, tell us about you, where you're at, and then most importantly, close us out with uh, what are you drinking today? Awesome. Love it. Well, thanks for having me, guys. Great to be here, Kenji and Matt. Uh, yeah. So my name is Chris Williams. I am just north of San Francisco. I'm across the Bay Bridge in Sausalito. That's where I live. So Marin County, California. Um, I grew up on the East Coast, DC, and I moved out here in 2015 um, for work. So I'm still a DC sports fan, but I've been in California for going on seven years now. So I'm slowly becoming a convert. Um, I run and operate System Six. So we're a cloud accounting firm. You know, we start like a lot of us with outsourced bookkeeping. We also add payroll, bill pay, you know, invoicing support. I would say controllership light, not certainly not CFO like you all, but really, you know, frontline accounting finance function is what we're managing. We're a team of 25 across 13 states, about 160 clients, um, about $3 million of revenue. So that's kind of where we are today. Um, and awesome. to close it out, I am drinking a local California beer. I'm drinking Four Point. Um, it's only one o'clock here, so I got to keep it light. It's a Kolsch. <laughs> So it's not it's not a double IPA, but um, it is a good refreshing beer. So cheers! Oh, guys. it's a solid one. Okay. Cheers, man! That's, That's a, a solid great one. one. Four points, awesome, and I love a good Kolsch. All right, Matthew, what do you got? What are you drinking? Well, I'm going the opposite way than light because it's East Coast here. So I'm going with Wicked Weed. This is the first of my four Wicked Weeds. This is their s'mores. It's a nine percenter. It's an imperial stout brewed with chocolate, vanilla, and cinnamon. Right, and they call it their s'mores. I think. So it's part of a series. I was really excited to get like, looks like it was made for me. What are you drinking, Kenji? That's made for you. That's a great, that's one of my favorite breweries. I'm drinking one I've never heard of before. I found a local place. It's called an ape snake and it's by Prairie Artisan Ales out of Oklahoma. It's a dry hopped, dark farmhouse ale. Super weird. I've never seen it before. You know me, I always like to do my pour here on the thing. Um, it kind of interesting. So we'll oh, see about a, like it's a darker beer, huh? Oh, that's a terrible pour. Good lord. Oh man, that's what a, that oh, like... it's awful. I'm gonna have to go to the bottle first. A lot of foam, uh, not a lot of beer there. Terrible. Cheers, Cheers guys. Cheers. Cheers, Chris. Welcome. Okay. Um, well, that's interesting. That's unique. 
Okay. Well, we're going to rate these later as we always do as we finish out. Um, cool. So Chris, some, a question for you. Um, tell me real quick, you, you get to tell us where you are and about system six a little bit, but tell me a little bit more about like where you got your accounting degree from, which accounting firms you've worked in previously. Like how many years have you been in the profession doing accounting? So this is going to be a, an easy answer. It's a big goose egg. Uh, no, <laughs> no accounting degree. I had, uh, I studied math and economics in undergrad. Um, and I have not worked in an accounting firm before. So I, my, my accounting firm experience is just about seven months. Cause I'm just about seven months into system six. So you got me, Kenji. <laughs> I know. I, I had to tease that out there. Right? No, like, no, no. Again, I just think the origin story is just super, super interesting and unique. And I guess I'll, I'll highlight it with this next follow-up. I mean, obviously, from your background, I think you've been in investment banking. Um, you've been in private equity. You've done, I think, some kind of small market, like almost M&A kind of work. I mean, so um, what in the world... How in the world did you get into the accounting space? It's just such an interesting path yeah. that I just, I think is incredibly unique. So I'd love to hear that backstory. Yeah. Yeah. So you teed it up a little there. Like, you know, my out, out of college, I had a relatively traditional sort of like corporate finance experience. I started investment banking, did a couple of years there, and then moved out here for a private equity job where I worked for three years. Um, and then I left as a lot of people do to go back to business school and get my MBA. And at the tail end of my private equity experience, you know, we had bought a bigger business, but we're doing a lot of M&A, you know, doing add-ons as a lot of private equity firms like to do. And I was actually spending time inside the business, like on-site in Denver, where they were helping them stand up. They'd never had like institutional capital. They'd never had lender reporting. So I was kind of helping them just get their FP&A um, up and running in a, a little bit more sophisticated manner. And that just was like my first experience working inside you know, a real business, not just sort of being in corporate finance and investing. Um, and that just piqued my interest to being inside of a business and helping like build teams and things of that nature. And so I went to business school and discovered this path that's pretty common out of business schools and becoming more common. I think just in general, it's called a search fund. But the basic concept is like, there's a lot of fantastic business owners out there who run small to medium-sized businesses who want to retire and maybe don't have a son or daughter or a GM across a million different industries. Um, and so the basic idea is, you know, if you're a young, energetic person who wants to get into operating and leading and building and growing and all the fun and all the not fun of, you know, running a business, like um, you can start one or you can go out and look for this retiring owner and try to put together a transaction, acquire the business and step into that seat. You know, um, if it's a very small business, maybe you can do it on your own. Most of the time it's with some sort of individual investors who went down this path they become your mentors, advisors, and then they help you acquire the business. Um, so that's basically what I set out to do after school. Like I um, realized that sounds really appealing to me to get to run a small business and help grow it and help do all the things that you know we're, we're trying to do today. Um, and so, yeah, I set out in 2020 to look for a small business to acquire with a couple of mentors who are still with me today and looked at a lot of different industries, found sort of cloud accounting early left for a little bit to look at other stuff, came back to it and ended up, yeah, acquiring system six in July, 2021. Wow. That is That's cool. That is cool. And that cool. Yeah. That's just a super interesting. I'm having story. a lot of fun. Like, you yeah. know, there's, there's ups and downs as you guys know from oh, running sure. any business, um, sure. but I'm, I'm having a lot of fun. And I think there's a lot to be said about, you know, having yeah. fun. Really I guess that is unique. I mean, you mentioned this concept of a search fund, which I actually is new to me. I, I haven't heard of it. I don't know if you've heard of that before, Matthew, I guess, because you, um, 
Now, I think you got your MBA at Stanford. Is that right? Yep. So is that, are you saying that was common? You saw others kind of doing some of the yeah, same I mean, thing? Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, I guess if you look at, you know, percentage of the class, no, it's yeah. still probably, you know, 10, 15% of the class go to do mm-hmm. something like this, you know, entrepreneurial acquisition. There's different forms it can take. You know, there's some accelerators that do this, just like there's venture accelerators. There's, you know, funds that will back you. There's individuals that will back you. So there's, there's different versions of it, but yeah, you know, at business schools, um, it's becoming, you know, I think a, a, like a decently known path and certainly on campuses, a lot of people know about it. Not everyone takes the plunge, but, um, it, it is definitely something that at business schools. And now I think people outside, I mean, candidly, like there's tax Twitter, there's search fund Twitter. Um, (laughs) you know, there's, uh, people are just, it's starting to like it's still very small relative to the number of small businesses, but um, you know, professional investing communities definitely are starting to get aware of what it is. It's super interesting. And so the thesis around you mentioned looking at cloud account, running into it and going away and coming back to it. I guess what was it like high level about cloud accounting? Like what 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 kind of got you? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the thing you have to start with is like, okay, recognize the scenario of, you know, I'm a any searcher is a super sort of unproven person, right? Stepping into a business that's not, you know, that was run by a previous owner. So you kind of have to like start with, I'm looking for a business characteristics that as a new unproven owner, like I can step in and not have, you know, everything fall, fall apart. Right. So if you're run some sort of business where all the sales goes through the owner or, you know, it's a contract business, there's no recurring revenue, like that creates a lot more leadership transition challenges. Um, So, you know, some of the things I was looking for that, certainly my mentors were pushing for is, you know, something with pretty sticky and consistent repeat revenue. Um, You know, something that's in a growing industry, again, like as a young unproven operator, if you're like swimming upstream, that can be really, really hard, you know, trying to turn something around in a challenging industry. So consistent revenue, good industry dynamics, you know, and and that includes also growth, but not, you know, one dominant player where eventually you're going to get swallowed up by. you know, there's some more nuanced stuff of it can be good to acquire a business just in general that doesn't have a ton of capex. So there's good, you know, cash flow conversion, like some of the more economic characteristics. But you know, I think the the two overarching ones are good industry and you know consistent repeatable revenue. So that as the owner, you're not coming in day one, you know, trying to go sell because you know your sales from last month don't continue into this month and you're not in a challenging industry. Gotcha. So gotcha. cloud accounting. Yeah like both of those are very, very true, right? Fit, fit the bill. Check the box. Yeah. Check the yeah, box. Yeah, yeah check, exactly. check some boxes there. Yeah, for sure. And, and so now that, okay, you, you've, you're now having to live out the thesis, like you're seven months or yeah. so into like, all right, let's see, what's any big um, things that have jumped out to you that are like, oh, this didn't, <laughs> this didn't either match my expectations or anything that's surprising. It was like, yeah, this, this part, wasn't part of the initial investment thesis. No, I mean, I would say that like the revenue side is very much proven out. And like, if anything has been, um, I've been surprised just like, yeah, how many people you talk to are like, oh, that sounds, we need that. Or I know someone that needs that. I mean, I know you guys are growing like crazy and everybody I've met in the industry seems to be growing like crazy. So I've felt better than expected about um, the revenue side of things. I would say, um, you know, we're like, I didn't have full appreciation of, um, you know, accounting firms are at the end of the day, we're very tech enabled, but like it's a people, people, people business. Like 
all day long. Our people are our product. Um, we're fortunate or I'm fortunate to have like stepped into a place with a fantastic culture where, you know, we haven't had a ton of people churn and our team is generally very happy here, but, um, that has just become much more of a focus for me than I think I expected, which is like making sure our team feels awesome and continues to feel awesome. And, you know, making sure that like hiring is a big focus as well, because to grow, you need people. It's like pretty linear one-on-one and that's probably, I wouldn't say that's like a huge issue, but it's just something I didn't have full appreciation to until I got into it. Yeah. What would you, what would you tell other, uh, search firm entrepreneurs? Yeah. Uh, if they were looking at the space, would you warn them against it or would you be like, Oh, something to think about? No, I mean, I think, I think that like, um, it's, so it's not software like that's what, and a lot of people are looking for small software businesses where maybe it's like, you know, an on-prem software business that you're going to take to the cloud, but you know, there are the, um, scalability of software. Like there's a reason it's, you know, the best business model in the world. Um, that's the only caution that, that I sometimes give people of like, yeah, Hey, if you want to double your business overnight, like you can't really do that in accounting, you know, you need to know that you're going to be in this for the long game. But when you step away from that, I really think it's a pretty awesome place to be because you're providing a super critical service to your customers. There's a ton of need for it. It's fun to provide that service. Like we're helping our clients and they really feel that. And then, um, you know, yes, it is hard to hire, but it's still, we are able to hire, you know, we're hiring remote people, more and more people want remote. We're not in a trades business where there's like a massive shortage of people who want to work on site with their hands. So yes, there are like people challenges, but I think relative to a lot of other service businesses, um, it, you know, it feels like really good once you get, once you recognize you're inside the service world. Yeah. I think that's really well said. I think it is as much as we talk in the, in the cloud accounting space about, um, Hey, there's, you know, we're using all these tools and we're modernizing and we are, it is, I think you nailed it. It is a people, people, people business. You know, you and I had a chance to hang for a couple of days out in California, out in kind of more your neck of the woods um, just a month ago. And I feel like most of the conversations we had with a bunch of our other friends who are firm owners were still around people. It didn't matter whether you were seven months in or whether like us, we've been, gosh, almost two decades in. Yeah. It's still the people, people, people thing. And so it's not something that I think a new entrant would have to face that's diff- dissimilar from anybody else in the industry. It's just as they think about it from comparison to different industries, yeah, there, there is a little bit of that. Like you really are dependent on the people side of it. So, um, yeah. for and sure. I think. From the outside, like you got, you know, it's, I view it as that's an exciting challenge. It seems like you guys have figured it out, right? Like if you can run a place, that's a fantastic place to work that pays team well, that keeps them happy, that like makes them feel fulfilled. Like that's awesome. Like that's what an awesome thing to do with your career. Like I think some people tend to be like, oh, it's a people intensive business, like burden. And I, I view it more as like, that's an opportunity to you know, run an awesome organization that people want to work for. And like, why, why would that not yeah. be something you want to, you want to take on? We, we got a, it was cool. We had this week, a little bit of a chance to enjoy that. I mean, within this time of COVID and in fact, we're all remote thing, you know, a remote firm like you, you just find it's pretty limited. I mean, we're doing a lot of this, right. A lot of zooms yeah. and things. And so this week we had um, a bunch of team come in town we had a team dinner one night and it just was awesome. I was just reflecting on that today with some other team members who are there and are offline back home now. And I was like, this is great. It was just really good to be amongst team. And um, and that was that was really enjoyable to your to your point about like it people are complicated. We all know that. 
Yeah. But um, they're pretty awesome too. It's the same reason I think why we were so happy to all be together out in California and connecting as firm owners. And like, it just like, there's just a joy in being able to, oh, let's all focus on something, work on something together collectively. So it, it can be, if you look at it that way, um, I think it can be really enjoyable in that regard. And I, I guess, let me jump back again to maybe, yeah. we always try to, um, again, I think the only people who listen to this, Matthew and I say are like, um, maybe, maybe occasionally like, you know, our parents, Hey mom, <laughs> Hey dad, listen to you. Um, listen. and then, yeah. And then other firm owners, right. Other friends yeah. of ours here in the space. And so I guess as we're thinking about speaking to other firm owners, um, once you, you had the thesis overall for the space and then, you know, you picked system six and, and, and I've known Jeremy over there for years and some of the team who were there, who's awesome people, but without being like specific to system six, what were what would you give as maybe a little bit of experience or advice to a firm owner? Like, Oh, what made, what characteristics were like, Oh, really? Like that's exciting for an external investor or a new owner coming in. Were there things that were like, Hey, if you were, if someone was like, I'd like to go that path or maybe find someone else who's coming out of B school like this to do it. Were there, were there things you would tell someone like, Hey, try to make sure you put an emphasis or focus on this in your business that would be beneficial. Yeah. I mean, I think one thing that jumped out is like consistent in my mind, it's almost like consistency over excellence of metrics. You know, like a lot of people when they're selling their business, cut a bunch of expenses the year before to make that margin look much better. Right. Or mm-hmm. they like somehow sell really aggressively in the final year to, to position the business as a 30% growth business, not a 15% growth business. But like one of the things about system six, that gave me a lot of confidence was you know, growth was solid, margins are solid, but like had also been very consistent. So it didn't feel mm-hmm. like there was sort of any tricks being played ahead of time. And that just, um, that's a good thing. And then the other, you know, good thing about when you see consistency is it just, again, you're insecure coming in as the new guy. And so to know that like, it's been in a good place for year over year makes you feel a lot better about what those first six months are going to look like. Um, the other thing is, it is definitely more attractive when there's some sort of middle management in place, you know, running, especially the accounting day to day. Um, because, you know, as a new firm, firm owner, who's not an accountant, certainly like I was not prepared to come in and, you know, really jump into client service delivery. Like I would have figured it out if I needed to, but that would have probably been a bit choppy for our clients ultimately. Um, but also, right. If there's like, some baseline of the business running independently, like it never truly runs independently of the owner. But when there's some of that structure in place, it gives someone like me, the new person time to come in and just learn and listen and not have to kind of jump in and take on a bunch of things without kind of knowing it, you know, anything out of the gate. So, um, you know, everybody talks about like, Oh, the business runs on itself. Like that's never the case. Like, you know, no firm owner is truly, no firm is truly passive income. Um, but there are some, you know, especially I think on the service delivery side, if there's some management in place running that, that, um, you know, gives the new owner more time to kind of learn and focus on the business, not the delivery of the service. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's exactly, it makes perfect sense. If this is probably, you know, I, had I thought about this a little more in advance, I probably should have reached out to Jeremy and be like, Jeremy, let's get you on here too. Yeah, I'm sure we could get him on. We he's probably could out. Get, yeah, exactly. Now he's, he's absolutely hanging out. And, um, but, you know, I guess if we were to try to play Jeremy a little bit here um, of like, what, 
you know, yeah. Matthew and I've gone through this a bit when we've done deals and, you know, it's a little bit of almost getting into the head of the former owner. Right. And, and I mentioned this at the top of the show of like, what, what are things that you think either Jeremy or Matthew, you and I could maybe even talk about like, whether it's Patty or Scott or Van, we're speaking for other people here, things that they should expect. Like when you're handing over the keys to the new owner or someone you're merging with or things like that. Um, I don't know. Are, is there any counsel or advice that, and again, I'll put this to Matthew as well too, because we've done this well, yeah. you would give to like, say, Hey, here's some things to just expect. Like when you've got to hand that over and we're probably talking about these being founders, owners, where it was their thing. Like I, it was their baby. Um, I've made Matthew be yeah. quiet here for a while. I'll let him go first. Cause I mean, this is the longest Matthew's ever not talked. <laughs> So I know he's itching. Matthew, what would you say if, if someone were to come in and buy your practice, like you, you should be prepared for like in that transition, passing the baton? Uh, change sucks and and things are <laughs> going to change. Like that's what be the thing. Like people don't like change, right? Um, especially people in control hate change, right? So I think the most difficult thing for everybody that we've kind of done a transaction with is like is making sure that they understand that there was some amount of change that was going to come that we had something figured out and they had something figured out and everybody's going to have to figure out how to change. Um, and that kind of sucks a little bit. I think that that's my, that would be my fortune cookie version of it. So I don't know. Well, that's a good point. I guess when, in our case, Ours was a little different transactions to where yeah. we're, we're pulling them into our organization. Yeah, you're kind of organization. You yeah. yeah. And that, that is a really good one of like where I don't know that. But that is what you asked me. Just for you're right. Minute. You're right. I, I think that's it's relevant here because it's giving a couple different flavors for people, right? You are either to maybe get pulled into another practice or it could be more situation like Chris's where there's just a new owner coming yeah. into place. Yeah. Maybe I mean, I think so. it's a totally different. I think people need to know this though. Like if you merge with somebody, Versus if you sell to somebody like Chris, totally different worlds. Totally. Like Chris is Chris is expecting you to have the processes in place and everything like that. We're expecting you to come over and conform to mostly our processes and stuff we learn from you that's better, we'll add in. Yeah. Right. Hmm. Which is completely, which is weird, right? <laughs> like it it changes the dynamic. Like, especially with the first acquisition we did. So Vance firm. Fundamentally, like somebody comes in like Chris in there, like it is a like hundred, like very different acquisition than having to conform like, oh, you don't like Slack? Sorry. Like if you're a customer, right? Like you don't mind that, right? Like you like, oh, I can conform to this and, and do this. Like this is just what the practice looks like. So you don't have to merge two cultures together. Um, but um yeah. I'm more interested in Chris's. Uh, I think most people would be more interested in Chris because more often people are selling to somebody like Chris that is like taking over everything and like keeping the systems in place. Like, what would you say to people would be the different thing? Because I'm talking from a merger perspective. Yeah, and the totally one thing I'll, I'll say before answering that is that was like absolutely at play with Jeremy when he was, you know, thinking about selling. Like he he was talking to a regional accounting firm that he very much likes and respects, but you know he was thinking about. Hey, how does this look different for my team? And you know, when there's someone like me stepping in, it's very much like business as usual. Yes, we've made some changes. You know, we deployed practice ignition, whatever. But like the business, for the most 
part looks pretty similar to like what it did six months ago versus, hey, sell to a regional accounting firm. Like they might be the fan, a fantastic firm, but like there's going to be inevitably, like you said, Matt, a lot more change for the team. Like not even the owner, you know, Jeremy stepping out, but that I think for him was a big consideration was just like, what's going to be best for the rest of the team that he knows and, and loves and has built over 13 years. Um, I would say one thing that does jump out almost pre-transaction is like, I, I think, yes, a lot of accounting firms are pretty, you know, tightly buttoned up from a financial perspective. Like it's not incredibly challenging financial diligence perspective transaction, but there was definitely more legal stuff than I think Jeremy expected. And like our, we have a great relationship. We're still chatting all the time. Like it didn't go South at all, but it was just, Oh man, this is not just like selling a house. You know, there's um, especially, I think if depending on who your buyer is, they, you know, have investors behind them who have certain level of just like legal protections that need to be in documents and depth of legal work. Um, and now, you know, candidly, it was a lesson for me. Like maybe I should have set that expectation higher up front. Like, Hey, this is going to feel like, even though this is a small business, it's probably going to feel like a bigger transaction. Like maybe we're over-engineering it, but that's just like part of the professionalism that we're trying to, you know, that's sort of asked of me by, by my, my, my backers. Um, I think post-close, honestly, like as much as you can just rip the bandaid and get out, um, you know, if you're selling your practice, it's just like Jeremy did a pretty good job of that, of, he told his whole team beforehand, which was really helpful. I got to meet a lot of them beforehand. So there wasn't like this big, oh, here's the new owner moment. Like that can create a lot of tension. So slow rolling the news with the team, I think was really helpful. And then, um, you know, if you can find a way to walk away pretty quickly, um, it just makes the transition easier for everybody. Um, so that was something I was, I mean, Jeremy still a part owner of the business and still like absolutely there as a resource, but there, we were trying to avoid having like, you know, mom and dad dynamic um, at, at <laughs> yeah, the firm. Yeah, like, uh, yeah. you know, he was there a lot the first couple of weeks, like helping me, but it was him and I were doing a lot of one-on-ones. It wasn't sort of like co-managing. That is a, I, I, I love that takeaway because I think that's a place where looking back, you know, even though it was a different type of transaction, uh, I know that was an area I worried about a lot. I was like, oh, we don't want to do that too quickly. We we don't want to, you know, freak the team out. And looking back on that, I think you're absolutely right. I think actually making that quick, like doing yeah. some pre-planning and those introductions, but then ripping that bandit off and just saying, hey, this is a transition. This is the way it's going to go. And yeah. I, I was, you know, felt like I was kind of soft pedaling. Like, All right, we're going to do this slow migration over. And I think it gets confusing. I think that is a... I absolutely, you know, take that away as like, oh, that's yeah. probably not something that seemed like it was right to do to make it easier, but it, it wasn't. It was, I think it was harder on people and that wasn't the intent, but would yeah. you agree with that, Matthew, that we kind of, especially on our first one, it just felt like that was the case. We, yeah, we, we F that, we F up a lot of stuff. <laughs> so we're like, I mean, we, we should have, we should have changed a lot of stuff. We, I think we should have ripped the bandaid off faster, both places. Um, 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 yeah. And I, and I think it, I mean, I think if it's ripped the bandaid, it's literally just like kind of changing who's sort of the person at top. Like I did not come in, I think, especially in, you know, a situation where it's like a new person coming in, I didn't come in and make a lot of changes. It was just like, Hey, it's now Chris running the same weekly meeting that Jeremy used to run. And just like that, that was real, the real change that happened quickly. It wasn't like I 
then made a bunch of changes. It was just like, let's make clear that, you know, who kind of the new leader is going forward. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. I have a totally, I have a question for you actually. Yeah. Shoot. So after going through this, uh, I have a question about economics. Yeah. Like, would you ever buy another firm to grow or would like, like customer acquisition cost to us is so much lower organically than, than through firms. Like what, what's the scenario where you would add another firm versus just do it yourself? Yeah. I, I think it's um, when we, not in the near term, right? Because to your point, like growth is all there for the taking. If you can have the people to serve it. Um, I think, you know, if I get to a position in the firm where like, I just have the time to maybe go work on M&A on the side almost. And maybe that, you know, there's an opportunity where you acquire and you integrate like you guys did, but maybe there's ways to sort of acquire and do less integration and almost have two businesses that are running a little bit separately, but, you know, just kind of have same ownership structure. Um, that is, a, I think, a scenario where I could see M&A happening. Like I know some people out there that are doing M&A in the space and some of them are doing what you guys have done, you know, integrating it all under one brand. And some are kind of owning several different brands. And then maybe they have a couple people up top that are sort of GMs overseeing several of those businesses. Um, so that is, I guess, a simpler path to do M&A. And maybe if, you know, I have in several years from now, you know, have more of a team underneath that's running a lot of not only the day-to-day -day accounting, but all the day-to-day -day people stuff, the day-to-day -day recruiting and the day-to-day -day sales. Um, I could see that being a, a use of my time. You know, you're, these businesses are spitting off cash and like one way to use it is to go get some more scale through acquisition. But I feel like one, we just uh, have enough to do and you know, there's enough on my plate that that would be a huge distraction right now. So um, I think it's definitely down the line, something I'd look at, but not immediate because especially there's so much growth opportunity. Do you, yeah. do, uh, for, so just simpler. Yeah. In your business, we're seeing internal CAC is cheaper than acquisition CAC. Yeah. Are you seeing that as well? Yeah, for sure. I mean, if you're the, the best you're going to buy a business at, right, is like one times revenue, maybe a little less. And if it's a good cloud accounting firm, it's going to be a lot more than that. Um, and you can definitely acquire customers for less than that. Yeah. I mean, we're not really doing much marketing and we're, we're still growing kind of 20% a year. You know, we're, we're a lot smaller than you guys, right? Like when you get to 10 million in revenue, like 20% is not just going to fall on your doorstep, but at a couple million yeah. revenue, um, you can still just kind of work with referrals to, to do that growth. Yeah. Interesting. It's, 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 it's interesting. It, it is interesting. We've got, I do think we have a dynamic in the industry right now where Growth is for the taking is the way you put it, Chris. I think it's right. Yeah. As long as you've got, you, you need to have the supply side on the, the people you mentioned. Um, you need to have someone who can come in and, and whether it's the owner or maybe a small sales team or something to go convert those deals. Um, if you have those things and yeah, the growth is there for the taking. And I was literally sitting next to you today, a tech, you know, um, a guy running sales for a tech startup that's venture backed. Yeah. And he was like, and yes, we had the same conversation about acquisition CAC versus kind of, you know, sales CAC. And he was like, oh my gosh, that's mind blowing to him. That was like, oh, wow, that is so unusual and interesting that in your space, you have that. But as a tech company, he was like, it's all about like, we can't grow fast enough through organic acquisition, you know, right. or through organic you know, growth. We have to go out there and be looking. We're always looking for these. So it's just interesting to look at our space like that. And I think you're right, though. Um, 
Yeah. And I think the other thing I just, and I've heard, you know, I think you guys have kind of referenced this on podcasts and stuff too, is like, even if the CACs were exactly the same, you know, if you're doing organically, you get, you get to control who that customer is. You get to onboard them the right way. Like it's just a lot easier than buying oh, customers yeah. that, you know, who knows what sort of systems and processes are in place, et cetera. Well, the weird thing is now for us, like at our size, right. If you want to add a million dollars in revenue, our sales team does that, right? Yeah, yeah. Like we could, we could double our sales team and add $2 million in revenue if we want. And that's the average firm in the space. Yeah. There's not that many bigger and, than that, that you yeah, and everybody doesn't mind bringing on, you know, the the customers over the year, like radically that our sales team does. But like, go buy a firm. Like everybody, it affects everybody from all of the management team, all the leadership team, executives, all the leadership team. Like everybody gets hit by that, and it just, yeah. it's hard. It's totally. hard. And to our point about like running businesses that people love working at, like if you drop that level of work on someone that probably, you know, for a lot of people on the team, it's yes, as the CEO, it's fun to get bigger. And, you know, you look at the multiples and, oh yeah, I bought it for this. My business is worth that. But like, yeah, hey, does my team want to do this? You know, that's another reason that I'm not, wouldn't look at that anytime soon. Like, oh, deal with that. Yeah. For us, it's like, everybody's like, don't do that this year. Yeah. Like, like it would have to be something so compelling to them. Yeah. Like it has nothing to do with the economics of the deal. Even if we get a price right. Totally. It would have to be something so helpful and somebody so, at, yeah. over there, like additive to our team that we didn't have, like that would be compelling to our team versus growth. It's yeah. really just fascinating. It's just, I was just curious as what you were saying. So yeah, yeah that's no, awesome. I mean, yeah. I, I yeah it, it's exactly, yeah, this, it, it's, it's an interesting challenge. Again, I think that where, when the same tech entrepreneur or head of sales next to me today at lunch was asking this. And I said, he's like, what are you most excited about this year? I said, this is going to sound really boring and really lame. I said, we are just really excited to be like controlling growth and focus on some internal processes because of that exact thing you mentioned, Chris, and that you jumped on there, Matthew is like, we we've, we've pushed the team pretty hard. We fatigued the team over the past year, even people who aren't directly involved with deals it just is a lot for them to handle. And it is so important to get the culture right and the people side right because it's a people, people, people business. And um, I was like, yeah, it's not very glamorous or very sexy, but I, I'm really looking forward to having a year where we're kind of hunkering down and getting processes right and automating things and kind of doing some light RPA internally on some things to make life easier for everybody. Because we, we kind of owe that back to the team after the past you know, yeah. 18 months of kind of what we've been through. So anyway, um, all right. I want to, uh, before we get to our final thing of always rating our beers, I do want to get to my final piece. And I mentioned this at the top. And so when we were out in California, I remember um, one of the other firm owners, I think you live probably near you somewhere, uh, Nicole from, yeah, yeah. you She's guys like were talking about us. golf, like yeah. talking about playing golf together. And I was like, I, whenever I hear golf, I kind of perk up a little bit. Yeah. So I happened to look in your back and I'm like, wait a minute, I think you may have even played golf in college. And I saw somewhere in one of your bios, I do a, lot, I do a little bit of homework on this stuff. I'm like, yeah, I think, Chris uh, okay. and I, I think Chris and I had the same exact first job, right? I worked also at, I, well, I worked at a golf course, picking up range balls, cleaning yeah. carts. Like I grew up around that. I always joke that like I kind of lived a little more of a modern version of Caddyshack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and so anyway, I used, I grew up loving playing golf and played it a bit. Matthew and I, Matthew does too. However, we haven't played in a long, long, long time. Um, just during pandemic and stuff like this. And Matthew, we got invited 
through a connection of Matthew, a family connection to play like a world class, like love it course way above our pay grade. And we are trying to get, I'm trying to get my act together. Like Matthew, we have no business going to this course. I don't know yeah, if you we, tell Chris. We're, we're going to go play winged foot. Love it. Wow. So, and so we're so, like, we got to get our shit together. That's amazing. Right? We, US so, Open was there like two years ago. It was just there two years I know. Ago, right? I think yeah. it was, um, who won that? Bryson. Oh, that was, uh, Bryson. Bryson did. Big boy. Bryson did. Yeah. Big boy did. Yeah. Um, dude, we got to, dude, Matthew, I, I mean, I'm kind of a little bit freaking out about all this. Like we've got to get our act together on this. So I don't know. All right, Chris, I, you, you're a much better golfer. Yeah. I, I can just know that we are. What? What do we need to do to get? Are we just screw, are we just going to get murdered there at Wingfoot? Well, I think like we're going to get murdered. I think the first thing is like you're putting pressure on yourself. That is like total <laughs> setup for failure, especially with golf because it's such a mental game. So all this like oh we got to get ready, we got to get you know we got to go to the, go to the range and like I think if you position it from I have to be ready to go to a place like that, it's, it's going to go south. But if you're just like. <laughs> Hey, I'm because even if you become best golfer in the world over the next two months or whatever, like when you finally show up on property, you've just put too much pressure on yourself and you're going to revert to like, you know, what it was. But I, I think if you just like view it as fun opportunity, like, yeah, I want to go hit some more golf balls and like have some fun at the driving range over the next couple of months and try to depressurize as much as you can. I, I know easier said than done. Um, that is step one. Uh, I would say step two is like, it's great to, you know, if you want to take, I don't know how much time you guys have, but if you like take a lesson or you know something about your swing that you're working on, like, that's great. Do that at the driving range. But when you go to the golf course, you got to forget about that and just like pick your target swing at the target. Because when you're playing golf, if you're trying to be too technical and like put your hands in this position because that's what you're working on on the driving range. You lose all your athleticism and there's a lot of just like hand-eye coordination that can really help you more than you expect. So the, and you know, in a very anti-accounting way, like the more technical you try to be on the golf course, the worse you perform. Um, so you kind of just have to let it go. Um, there's a, a very popular psychologist in sports. He does a ton of golf, but he's kind of like, look, if you go play basketball, right, you're playing a game, like you go shoot, you're not thinking about where your elbow goes. You're just shooting at the basket. You know, when you throw a baseball, it's not, you're not thinking about, you're just like looking at the target and why don't we do that in golf? So, um, I've been trying to adopt more of that lately, like be technical in the backyard at the net. But like when you go to the golf course, just try to play golf. Oh man, that's and good. Have fun. And have fun. We can, we can do that, right, Matthew? We can have fun. I know you'll have fun. I, I get a little more. I'm, I'm just I'm just going to have fun. I'm not going to yeah. set any scoring records ever. Yeah. So, so, I mean, to, to me, the thing I get is because I, I love. I mean, we both we both love being outdoors and playing golf, and we're gonna. This will be fun. This will be a really a treat for the two of us. And I think I can get there, but also I do tend to put the pressure. I'm like, I'll, I'll get into like the whole like, oh my gosh, this is hallowed space and historic ground and all the things. I just have to kind of get like a little bit like, yeah. All right, just settle down. Let's go have fun today. We're not yeah. in the office. We're going See, and doing this. I have the I have the accountant perspective. I I pay less per stroke than any other golfer I know. At I love it. For, I love for, it. For, for, for a yeah. round. Yeah. So I, I I get I get to I get to hit more strokes than everybody else for the same yeah. cost. Yeah. So. And I'd say I mean Kenji, that's true. And like, you're going to feel when you're there, like the history, but instead of like making that pressure, just be like, oh, this is like flip the script. Like, oh, this is cool. Like I get to go look at this thing that, you know, 
yeah phil mickelson did in 2005 or whenever you know he yeah, has big collapse there like yeah that's cool i get to go see that in the clubhouse not like, oh. oh hollow ground oh yeah, chris just so you know kenji's a shithead he got to live at the masters one summer oh wow Wow, I mean that's that, a whole that, separate that's a whole separate podcast. Yeah, we need my guest my guest national my guest national days are no he podcast. he lived at Augusta National for that summer. Is, that is and he, and he could play every night. Like the, that is not the was, golf job I had. <laughs> no, no, I was working nor, nor, nor was the one I was referring to at the top of this the golf yeah. job either. This was yeah. this is a separate thing, but, but that that's that's but another just, time just for golfers to know Kenji sucks. Just, just, that's just, just another, to be that's another up time and place, Chris. We'll have many more drinks over those. I've got some. I do have some good stories yeah. about Augusta National. I, 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 I would love to hear those one day. That's pretty cool. That's awesome. All right. Well, let's um, let's let's land this plane here and um, rate some rate beers. Our beers. Gonna, hold on. Let me. I've got mine here. I'm going to pull up our Matthew and I's favorite little uh, app here. Yeah, what's the, the un- scale here? Tap app. Uh, one to five. App. Okay. And so one to five. So I'm going to rate my um my app, my ape snake that I have here. This was a very interesting, again, a dark like Saison. I love Saisons. It was dark. Mm. It was just it was super, it was a little weird, interesting. I'm gonna give it a three, seven, five. I liked it. It was a little bit different. Um that's kind of a little bit inflated. You didn't like it. You that first sip just it threw of, me off. It threw me off it threw because off. normally okay. it has a good Saison nose and flavor to it, but it's also it's just so dark. It's like look at that. Like that's one of your beers, Matthew. It's just weird. It threw me off, but it's it's okay. Um I, I do like it. Um Matthew, give me what you what are you drinking again? You're drinking the wicked weed s'mores. Okay, the s'mores from wicked weed. Oh crap. Of course, that's too many of these damn things. Um, sorry. See, this is why weed. There it is. There we go. Got it. All right, Matthew, what are you going to give this guy? It's a four. It's a four. A four. A good solid four. So okay. It's not. It's not. It, it's not phenomenal, but uh, it, it's doable. It's nine percent. I'm starting to feel it, but that's all right. Uh, yeah, mine was seven point four. So I'm not too far behind you. Kenji, it's um, it's four point KSA F four like F. There it is. Oh, there KSA right there. That's a okay. It's, um, this is a, this is going to be a good one because yeah, this, is, well, this, we'll is a, this is a four like it it it, it doesn't you uh, can give it more if it's a favorite you can inch it up if no, it's a favorite i mean i think like for it for me you know i can't i can't distinguish three seven five four two five but i feel like four is very solid i know what i'm getting i love it it's not going to blow my socks off you know because it's it's a staple beer but um that's okay why, that's why i picked it Super awesome. fair. That's, 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 that's a great right, one. That's right. That's right. How we would rate that too. So some pretty good solid beers this go around. Yeah, so um, good work. Well, cheers, Chris, you guys, brother. Cheers we appreciate everyone. you being on, my man. This was awesome. Really Thank you. I'd love to. Come, I'm happy to come back anytime, and I look forward to next time we're together in person. And Matt, yeah, I'll, we'll, Matthew, that for sure. Maybe next time get Jeremy. Yeah. Hey, Jeremy, we love you, brother. We should have yeah. had you on. Maybe we'll get you on next time with with all of us. But um, cheers, everyone. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you all next time on Drink Cheers. Have a good weekend. Thank you.